it really opened doors for women in general, I think, because not necessarily the cross-country team, but the fact that women were now at the military academy. If you think you can just go out and run five miles, you probably can't. And welcome in, folks, to this week's edition of the Run the Race podcast. We're here with you on a regular basis talking about fitness and faith. And, uh, you know, those two things have a lot to do with the military. We have a, a, a military runner and coach as our special guest for this episode. And, uh, you know, speaking of the military, the war in Afghanistan, uh, which has lasted nearly 20 years, has officially ended now. The final U.S. troops coming out of there, they're hopefully going to rescue, um, bring out the, the last Americans that are still there that want to come out, along with the, the Afghan interpreters and so many that have helped us over the decades and, and risked their lives for us. But um, just, you know, just first wanted to say our prayers are with all the family members, uh, mothers, uh, fathers, uh, brothers, sisters, uh, spouses of the uh, the military that have lost their lives, thousands uh, in Afghanistan and the Middle East during this conflict, and especially the 13 that had just lost their lives just days ago uh, at the airport in Kabul, uh, helping the humanitarian mission to get people out to safety. And so our prayers are definitely with their families. Our prayers are with our military and our soldiers that do so much for us, just risking life and limb uh, for our freedom here in the United States. So just wanted to, to say that uh, up front, uh, definitely praying for all of them. And, and, uh, and so many veterans, they're just frustrated right now and just wanting to know, making sure that this last 20 years was not in vain and uh, hopefully protecting us from uh, terrorists here on U.S. soil, but uh, just praying for those veterans. If you if you know a veteran, uh, somebody that, that served in, in combat or just somebody that's currently serving or, or whatever, just reach out to them and say hi and, and see if you, you know, if they need to talk or whatever, or vent. And uh, just, you know, our veterans just so important to us. And I'm they're right here, so many in our backyard here at Fort Benning. And uh, one of those that lives uh, just down the road for where I'm at, where I'm at at WTVM is a retired Lieutenant Colonel Chuck Hunsaker. And, uh, you know, I'm a runner and he was actually was a runner for about 60 years. But now some bad knees because of some projects and stuff he's done. He's now, uh, you know, on, on a bicycle. Uh, but, you know, running for 60 years, I hope I'm able to do that. It's been about eight years for me, so I've got about five decades left uh, to uh, catch up with uh, Hunsaker. Uh, he is the coach, or was the coach, of the very first women's cross-country teams at the U.S. Military Academy at West Point. This was in the late 1970s, and that's where the Corps of Cadets, it was really all male for 174 years at West Point. So he has written a book about that experience, about that first team, the, you know, the history of it, and, and the, you know, the, the people that were against it, and how they really impressed so many people of how fast they could run and, and win. Uh, this book is called Angels and Combat Boots. And you may think, you know, how do they come up with a name? Well, he talks about that. And it has something to do with a TV show called Charlie's Angels. His name is Chuck. So uh, uh, you can kind of draw uh, the dotted line there. Uh, but uh, Chuck Hunsaker, a very impressive guy. 
guy. He has uh, twice won National Cross Country Coach of the Year. He's coached one team to a national championship, and he's had 22 All-Americans. He's been a track and cross-country coach at, at several schools, uh, including uh, Missouri State and also at the University of Cincinnati. was the head track coach at age 25 there, so getting started out pretty early. Uh, obviously uh, was involved in the uh, called up to active duty in the military, the Army, was at one time the Deputy Commandant of the U.S. Army Physical Fitness School here on Fort Benning in Georgia. He did three tours in Panama, and now uh, he can add author to his list of this great book that I'm looking forward to read. So uh, uh, listen in as Chuck has some uh, running wisdom for you as well, and uh, just tell some great stories about what it was like uh, being a part of this historic cross-country and track team. All right, we have a special guest with us, uh, Chuck Hunsaker. Um, only your mom calls you Charles, right? That's so correct. We'll go with Chuck here. So <laughs> thank you so much for uh, for joining us today. We appreciate sure. it. Yeah, glad to be here. Yeah, so um, you know, I'm I'm a runner myself. Uh, I love running. Maybe a lot of people don't, but uh, I know you have. A, you know, you said you ran for like 50, 60 years yourself. And obviously spent, you know, a lot of decades coaching as well. Uh, you have a new book out we're going to talk about, uh, Angels and Combat Boots. But kind of take me back a little bit uh, to, you know, you were, um, you know, uh, a coach for uh, cross-country teams. In fact, you coached, you know, 22 All-Americans, a national champion team. You were national cross-country coach of the year a couple years. Um, but one kind of, you know, detour you took was as this brand new sport uh, of cross country for West Point for for women, uh, tell me about how you got involved with that because this was a historic moment, right? Well, I, it's interesting. I had been interviewed to be the men's track coach at West Point, and uh, was not did not get selected for that. But I was in the Army Reserve, and in in 1976 uh, is when women started at the at the academy. And that first class of women only had, I think, 119 women in it. So there really wasn't enough women to really form athletic teams. So when the second class got there, and they had now about 250 women all together, uh, they decided that they needed to, to try to find a way to start the women's teams. But they didn't have any coaches. Uh, they hadn't established any budgets or anything like that. And so there was a committee put together that was trying to determine how they were going to start a women's athletic program. And one of the guys on that committee was a guy named Colonel Jim Anderson, and uh, he was the head of the physical education department there, and he had been one of the guys who had interviewed me. And uh, so he, he said in this meeting one day, well, you know, hey, this, this guy Hunsaker uh, was number two when we selected our men's track coach. He's in the reserves. Why don't we call him to active duty? Uh, he can teach in my department, and he could be the, you know, first women's track and cross-country coach and kind of get the program started. So... Uh, I'm. I was actually running a swimming pool at, at, in Springfield, Missouri that summer, and uh, you know, of course, we didn't have cell phones or anything. And uh, he, the, the guy from West Point, called my house and uh, said that they wanted to call me to active duty. And so my wife, in trying to get in touch with me, you know, the only thing she could think of was to call the campus police and have them come over to the pool. And so. Uh, you know, this guy comes over to the pool and says, you know, hey, you need to get over to your office right away. You know, you're, you're getting a phone call. And of course, what is the first thing you think? Oh, crap, something happened to one of the kids or, you know, so, I mean, something happened. And I, I get over the phone rings and it's this Major Bob Frank from West Point. And he said, uh, 
uh, Captain Hunsaker, uh, you know, we want to call you to active duty. You're going to have a change in your lifestyle. <laughs> and so uh, they allowed me to finish the cross country season uh, at, West, at Southwest Missouri at the time. And uh, I got to West Point in January 1978. Wow. And, you know, the, uh, um, the Corps of Cadets, you know, West Point, it'd been all male for 174 years. So a long time. And so you have the integration of, fem of women um, and, and there. And then all of a sudden now you add, add in sports to that as well. So what was um, what was that like for you to be on the, the ground floor of that kind of as that got built? Well, it, it was really interesting for me because, you know, as I said, there were only about 250 women there. So if you were an academic professor, you might have one or two in a class. Uh, if you were a tactical officer, you might have two in your company. Uh, I saw about 30 women every day at practice. So I was one of the few commissioned officers who had any really significant contact with women. So I got to be on any number of committees, you know, that had to do with the integration of women into the, into the Corps of Cadets. And, and I think like anything, it's kind of the classic bell-shaped curve. You know, you, you had a certain number of people that were enthusiastic about women there. Uh, you had a certain number of women or of, of people there, cadets and faculty and so on, who were adamantly against having women there. And then, of course, the great group in the middle was kind of ambivalent and said, well, you know, Congress said they're supposed to be here, so they're here and let's make the, let's make the best of it. So it was, it was really a, an interesting and historic time, really, to be there uh, and and really to, to watch the transition of women at the academy over the three and a half years that I was there. Yeah. And it was, was you know, sports, maybe not necessarily, but, but running uh, seems to offer, you know, perhaps a level playing field in some ways for women and men. So did you find that when you were at West Point? Because were they running side by side? Were maybe women even beating the men in some instances? Well, yeah, that, it was very interesting because the, the, the classic, knock really on women was they can't handle the physical stuff. You know, yeah, they, they can handle the grades and all that, but they, they'll never be able to manage the, the physical requirements. Well, all the cadets report on what's referred to as our day, and that's a big processing day. You know, you show up, you get your uniforms, you, you're taught how to march. I mean, there's just, you know, all kinds of administrative things to do. But the next morning at six o'clock, you know, you fall out for, for morning PT. And, uh, you know, it's, it was classic, you know, military, you know, PT, calisthenics in a run. And uh, they break the, at the time, they, they broke the, the plebe class down into three running groups, the black group, the gray group, and the gold group. And the black group was the good runners. The gray group was the kind of the general, you know, average runners. And then the gold group was the weak runners. And, and most people felt, that, well, all the women are going to end up in the gold group. Uh, and, and some of them even referred to the gold group as that's the girls group instead of the gold group. Wow. Uh, but women who had been runners actually were able to run in the black group. And that really like, opened some eyes. And, you know, I, I, I've said in this book that, you know, that I think the women cross country runners really helped with the integration of women into the Corps of Cadets because they actually showed that women could do these physical things. Uh, they could run with the men. And in, in some cases, you know, they could actually beat 
some of the men. They, they couldn't necessarily beat the best ones, but they could beat, you know, a lot of the, the average ones. So it was, uh, it was a real eye-opener, I think, for a lot, of, uh, a lot of people. Yeah, and your book that just came out this past December, um, Angels in Combat Boots. So what's the meaning of that title? Uh, because it's, it's pretty unique. Well, when we started the women's program, as I said, they didn't have budgets and, and that sort of thing. So we started them as cadet clubs. And it was in what was referred to as the Department of Cadet Activities. So, you know, they didn't have a sports information director or anything like that. It was, it was a club. I mean, there's all kinds of clubs uh, that they had at, at the academy. And so the, the athletic teams were referred to as the Black Knights, but the clubs were just clubs. And so somewhere along the line, the women's basketball team got to be known as the Sugar Smacks. Now, I'm not sure exactly where that came from, but they were called the Sugar Smacks. Well, in, in my case, my name was Charles. I coached a bunch of women in one of the really big TV shows at the time was Charlie's Angels. Yeah. <laughs> and so somewhere, somehow, they, they started referring to the cross-country team as Charlie's Angels. Wow. You know, when articles would come out in the, in the Pointer View, which is the, 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 the Post newspaper, it would say, you know, Charlie's Angels are going to run Bucknell or Charlie's Angels did this. And, and, and uh, so that's kind of where the whole idea of angels came in. Wow. And, and uh, was there, is there a double meaning to it as well? Because like you said, I mean, this was, you know, not only was it just, you know, women running cross country, they were making a change that, you know, was, you know, you know, 175 years in the making, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there's, it, I mean, it really opened some doors. I mean, if you look across the whole country, really, at, in 1976, when that first class of women showed up, uh, it really opened doors for women in general, I think, because not necessarily the cross-country team, but the fact that women were now at the military academy. And that in and of itself opened you know, open doors. And so you started to see women being able to do things that they hadn't done in the past. And so the women at the academies were just kind of part of that changeover, really, uh, and, and showing what women could do, uh, you know, that, that women could compete, women, women could do things that people a year before, I didn't think they could do, you know, that, and, I, and I think that that was a big deal at the time. Yeah. And from a physical aspect and fitness aspect or overall, you know, uh, looking now 40 plus years later, you've got female Army Rangers and females, mm -hmm. you know, involved going to combat, literally. Mm -hmm. So for you, I mean, is that, um, you know, just another step? You know, are you surprised that it maybe either it's taken this long or that it's now it's it's finally happened? Some of these things? No, I. I I'm, I'm not really surprised. I, in a way, I may be surprised, I guess, that, that it took as long as it did. You know, I mean, there was still a lot of inertia. Uh, you know, there, there were people at the academy at the time that just did not want those doggone women to be there, you know. And I think that that wasn't just isolated at, at West Point. It certainly wasn't isolated at just the academy. It was just was a feeling, I think, that permeated men, you know, particularly in the country, and they didn't want women to do this or that and the other thing. And so I think we're kind of at a point now where women have been able to show that they can do most anything. I mean, you know, I mean, we have women 
a woman vice president, for heaven's sakes. We have women governors. We have women legislators. We have uh, the, the head of the largest defense company, uh, Lockheed Martin, uh, is a woman. You know, so it, it really opened that the fact that women could go to the military academy and it really opened the doors that allowed a lot of that to happen. Yeah, and I want to talk some more about your your military career and the things you went through, but also uh, you know talking about you know your running. So tell me, to kind of take me back to to young Chuck, um, where you you know um, you you were telling me off mic about how um, you know swimming kind of maybe vaulted you into this being this runner, mm-hmm. uh, maybe that you didn't think about before. Was that um, is that kind of is that passion has just kind of grown over time and something you've really loved for a long time? Oh yeah, yeah. I you know I mean I as a kid growing up I was like almost probably ninety five percent of the of the boys. You know you wanted to play football. You know I was I was going to be a star football player. And uh, when when I got to the eighth grade, which is the first time I could play football, we didn't have any kind of youth sports. You know at that time other than little league baseball. Uh, I went out and. Uh, got splinters on my behind from sitting on the bench <laughs> and uh, I was I mean I was I was skinny I mean I was I was about 100 pounds and I don't remember how tall I was but I was really a stick and particularly the kind of football that we played then you know we were I grew up in Ohio and and football was pretty much influenced by Woody Hayes you know three yards in a cloud of dust and you know Three, three things happen if you throw a pass and two of them are bad and uh, you know so you know there, there weren't there weren't there weren't many receivers you know if you were uh, on the line you were just another blocker and uh, so it was pretty obvious that I was not going to end up being a star football player and uh, I was in the band and uh, we went out to the, the football field one afternoon to, to put some lines on the football field for band practice the next day and uh, the cross country coach was there, and I went over and so I was just talking to him, just to kind of pass the time. And and he looked at me and he says, "Man, he says you you look like a distance runner. You know you you ought to think about running cross country." And I this I looked at him and said, "Coach, I don't even know what cross country is." <laughs> and uh, he said, "Well, it's you know it's running." And he told me a little bit about it. And he says, "Yeah, give it some thought. You know you ought to you ought to give cross country a try." So. Uh, I talked it over with my with my dad, and uh, he said, "Hey, coach thinks that you know that might be something that you could do. Why don't you give it a shot?" So I, I did, and and uh, I was I was awful. Uh, I was I don't know, last man on the cross country team or next to last man on the cross country team. In fact, uh, I, I was I was so bad that at the end of the season, the coach asked me to be the manager of the track team in the spring. <laughs> <Uh-oh>. you know, <laughs> I, not working out. I had not in I had not impressed him with my running. Uh, but that next summer, between my sophomore and junior year in high school, I uh, took a senior life-saving course, and you know we we swam a lot uh, over the course of the summer. And not only you know the things that we had to do in the class, but we have to swim a mile after class and and so on. Well, at, at that at that time, so different from today, there were there were seasons. You know, so cross country and track started two weeks before school. You didn't do anything in the summer. That was like unheard of. You know, you when the last competition was over, you didn't do anything until spring. And then on the first of March, that's when spring sports could start. So that's when cross country or when track started, and and you ran until your last meet, and then you didn't do anything over the summer. Uh, so 
But in my case, I was in that senior life-saving class all summer long. And so when I went back to school as a junior, uh, I was in the best shape of my life. And I ended up going from being last man as a sophomore to being first man on the cross-country team as a junior. And uh, that, that really kind of galvanized, you know, track and cross-country, you know, for me, uh, you know, being successful, obviously enjoy being successful. And uh, so, you know, I, I became a runner and, you know, I, I think there are people who run and then there are runners and there's a, there's a little, there's a difference, you know, and, and I became a runner. And so I, I've, I've run for, you know, 60 years or something like that. Yeah. And as you said, not able to now because your knees, you're, you're more biking now, right? Right. Yeah. I, I messed up a knee, uh, building a playground here in, in, in Coca Lake and, uh, had to have knee surgery and, and just can't run anymore, but, but I, I bike. Yeah. So, yeah. And, you know, um, a coach, you know, is so important, whether it be a team sport, individual sport, or even like nowadays there's, you know, individual running coaches, people can hire somebody. So, you know, for you, you know, uh, getting into coaching, you know, how important is that aspect of, of that role as coach in terms of, because I mean, some people say, well, if you're talented as an athlete and athletic, you know, maybe does the coach going to have that much of an impact? What do you think? Well, yeah, I, I mean, I think a coach does have, have a lot of, uh, a lot of influence. Uh, you know, there's an old saying that, uh, uh, a good coach makes you a better athlete. The great coach makes you a better person and influences your whole life. And I, and I think coaches do that. Uh, in my case, when I went to be a, to, to college as a freshman, I really didn't know what I wanted to, to do, like I think most kids, and uh, I had to pick a major, so uh, I'm looking at all the majors, and one of them said pre-med, and I said, well, heck, pre-med, that sounds good, I'll, I'll be a pre-med. <laughs> Doesn't uh, sound tough at all. No, not a, not a bit. And so I, I started off as a, as a pre-med, but partway through the first semester of college, uh, I had a, a, a guy that in my dorm who wanted to come out for track. He'd never run track before in his entire life, but for some reason decided that he wanted to try to run track. And so uh, he worked out for a couple of days with the sprinters and they were gonna work on starts the next day. You know, he, he had never even seen a starting block. He had no idea what that even was. So he came down to my room and said, hey, Chuck, could you help me you know, uh, with the starting block? And so we got down on the floor of my room for about 30 minutes and I showed him how to put his hands and his feet. Then we talked about a little bit about, you know, starting blocks and how to come out of the blocks and so on. And I, I said kind of to myself at the time, I said, man, that was really fun. I, I really liked that. I think I need to be a track coach. Wow. You, just, you knew then. Went over to the, the biology department and uh, changed my major from pre-med to uh, biology, just straight biology and uh, education. And uh, I was a physical education minor, uh, but I, I spent basically my whole college, you know, wanting to be a track coach. And wow. so uh, I got that opportunity. Yeah. And so, you know, what was, and I knew we talked about how you were at the University of Cincinnati and um, uh, places in Missouri, but uh, where was you, what was your very first track or cross country job? Well, when I, uh, when I graduated from college, the, the amateur rules were way different than they are today. You know, if you took any money at all for 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 a sport, you were no longer an amateur. And so I wanted to, I wanted to still run, and and so I couldn't take any money for coaching. And so my, my first teaching job was uh, I was teaching general science at a little little bitty country school. 
outside my hometown. And uh, I volunteered to be the assistant coach of, the, of the, the track team in the spring. And so that, that was really my first experience really uh, as a coach. And then uh, the next year I moved from that little school into the, into the city and there were no coaching jobs available. And so uh, I ended up going to the state track coaches clinic uh, and I ran into the head track coach at Lima Senior High School, which was the, the big school in, in town. And he remembered me from when I had run in high school and we were talking and he says, well, you know, where, where are you coaching? And I said, well, the coach, I'm, I'm not coaching. You know, I, I'm teaching in, in, in Lima, but I don't have a coaching job. This is in Ohio. This okay. is in Ohio, right. And uh, so he said, uh, well, heck, he said, man, I'd love to have you as my assistant. You know, would, you know I said, we can't pay you, but, you know, would you, would you mind, you know, being my assistant. I said, well, I didn't get paid last year, so <laughs> Might you know, as well. that, that's no big deal, but it's experience, right? You know, that was a, that was a big deal. So uh, I, uh, I was the assistant coach at Lima Senior High School that year. And then uh, at that same coach's clinic, I ran into the head track coach at the University of Cincinnati. And we were talking and, uh, you know, he just, he happened to mention that he had a graduate assistantship for uh, being his assistant but you know, you get your master's degree. So I said, man, free master's degree, that's, you know, I, I gotta have that. So, you know, I ended up going to the University of Cincinnati, got my master's degree, and then uh, coach said, uh, you know, God, why don't you stay on here and you know, you can be my assistant here. So I was the assistant coach there at Cincinnati for two years, and then the head coach left, uh, recommended me to be his be the head coach and Fortunately, the athletic director agreed, and so I, I got to be the head coach at the University of Cincinnati at, at what twenty five years old, I guess it was. Wow, pretty pretty young. And so you know, we talked earlier about your success. You know, having um, you know, uh, you know more than twenty All Americans and national championship as a, for a team and national coach of the year for cross country. So what what would you attribute your success to? I mean, was there something a way you coached? Because they always kind of there's there's players coaches and there's like tough coaches. So what was maybe for you, you know, um, what do you attribute some of your success to with some of these you know, accolades? Well, you know, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I I love track and cross country. I, mean, I still do uh, love track and cross country. So it was something that I could very easily you know throw myself into. I mean, I probably worked at least eighteen hours a day. You know, when I was doing that, I mean, if I read a book, it was a book on track or cross country or a biography of a, of a great runner. Uh, I went to every coach's clinic that I, I could go to. Uh, I think one of the things that really helped me from a standpoint of cross country was a, a track clinic that I went to where one of the Finnish national distance coaches uh, gave a presentation. And he, he kind of gave us some ideas about how, uh, how they put their program together. And you can't really just copy somebody else's program, but you can take bits and pieces of it and kind of mold it into your own. But I was able to take a lot of the information that I got from that, that coach from Finland uh, and kind of mold it into a program that, that we used that, that I think really helped. And uh, you know, a lot of the guys who ran for me became coaches and used that same, you know, same philosophy and, and, and were successful with it. So that was, 
you know, kind of looking back, if I, if I had to say there was a kind of a turning point really for me as a coach, it was probably attending that coach's clinic and picking up that stuff from the guy from Finland. Yeah. And, you know, we hear, you know, the old joke is that most people, you know, a lot of people don't like running or like in team sports, it's punishment. Like mm-hmm. for the basketball team, the football team, whatever else, go run some sprints mm-hmm. because you didn't do that well. Mm-hmm. Um, so what would you say to folks maybe that are in the camp of like, I've tried to run, but it, it hurts or I don't like it or it's, it's, you know, too hard, you know? Um, yeah, I'm sure you've heard that from a ton of folks. So what would you say to them? Well, I think, I think a lot of that really kind of boils down to how you get into it. You know, if, uh, if you think you can just go out and run five miles, you probably can't, you know? And, and so if people try to do that, they're probably not going to find it to be too enjoyable. <laughs> right. uh, but, you know, I, I've always tried to get, to, to get people who were, were going to start running, you know, I said, okay, run, just run a city block or, you know, run 50 yards, walk, catch your breath, you know, walk, run another 50 yards, you know, stop, catch your breath, run another 50 yards, you know, and, and you do that for a couple of days and then maybe you run 75 yards and, and then maybe you run 100 yards and, and pretty soon you can run a mile. And, you know, it, 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 uh, it's just something that you, you get to enjoy, I think. Uh, you get to enjoy the feeling of being fit, uh, which is, if you look across the country, I mean, the vast majority of people are not fit. And it would be so enjoyable if, or if, you could, if we could get more people to be fit. I think we'd find a lot less, you know, medical uh, bills and, and that sort of thing if more people would actually get out and walk, run, you know, whatever, ride a bike, you know, I mean, just do something physical. But I, I think uh, from, from a running standpoint, you, you start out really easy and you just kind of build up over time. And, you know, I, I think you can get most anybody to be able to run three or four miles if you start out right and, and just take it a step at a time, yeah. you know, day at a time. Slow and steady wins the race. Right. And you, and you burn calories, so you get to maybe enjoy eating uh, a little right. more. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> as well. Um, and I understand as part of um, your uh, job um, for, you know, the Army, you've had you have lots of different jobs, but you were, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but at Fort Benning, you were a deputy commandant for the U.S. Army Physical Fitness School, right? Mm-hmm. So how important is that for, I mean, obviously the military, you hear, you know, everybody hears stories about boot camp and being physically fit and being able to do that PT at, you know, early in the morning. So uh, what was what was that job like and how, how important is, is fitness, that specific aspect for the military? Well, I, I think fitness for the military is is huge. I mean, I think it's extremely, extremely important. Uh, even, even if you got a desk job, uh, I think being fit is is still is still really important. And if you even if you have a desk job in a combat zone, you might find that you have to do something other than sit at that desk. You know, you might you might actually have to get out there and do something that that. So you need to be ready to do that. But, but just being fit overall allows you to do your job better no matter what that job is. Uh, you know, when I ended up at the fitness school, uh, a lot of us who had been in the physical education department at West Point ended up being in the fitness school 
at, in a later assignment. Uh, so, uh, you know, I was just like a lot of those guys ended up in the fitness school. But uh, th that is, I think, is really crucial to having a successful military is is being fit. Yeah. And, you know, the, the mental aspect of it is so important, too, with sports, military, with anything, really. And, and I understand that you were connected to, um, you know, chaplain's offices uh, with, with uh, you know, the military as well. Tell me about that, about how kind of the, the mental, the spiritual part of, of sports in the military, you know, how that plays a factor, too. Because some people say it's, it's half mental or it's 90% mental, perhaps. Well, there's no saying that there, there's no such thing as an atheist in a foxhole. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I think that's that's extremely true. Uh, you know, it's, I think it's unfortunate in the United States today that attending church, you know, belief in God, that sort of thing, uh, is it, just not the vogue. You know, and, and it seems like every couple of years there's a survey done and there are fewer people who attend church. You know, there are fewer people who are religious uh, and I don't think you need to be a religious zealot, you know, a religious fanatic, but I think that that's an extremely important part of your life. And, uh, you know, being physically fit, you know, mentally fit, spiritually fit, I mean, I think that's, that's, a, that's a big deal. Yeah, yeah. And it kind of goes back to maybe a little bit, you know, uh, of the, the name of your book, Angels and Combat Boots. And even though they were, it was Charlie's Angels, it's just that these women were uh, blazing a path for, you know, um, for, for future people. And I'm sure for them, you know, not only are they going through the physical and, um, you know, working hard to be good at cross country, but it was I'm sure so mentally you know, like you said, there were a lot of people that didn't want them there. So that had to be tough for them and for you as coach as well. Well, you know, I think one of the one of the really big things that came out of these uh, these women, and it wasn't just the women cross country runners, but uh, when when they could go when they could go back to their company and say, "We ran Bucknell today. We ran." East Stroudsburg State, we ran Montclair State, and we won. Uh, that that was that was a big deal because it showed the the male cadets. It showed the tactical officer, you know that sort of thing. It showed that they could be successful, and, and that was extremely important. I think for the women at that time, they needed to be able to show success. Uh, they needed to believe in themselves. They needed to they needed to see themselves as successful, but the other cadets and so on also needed to see them as successful if they were going to be integrated into the into the core uh, into the core cadets. And so, you know, when uh, when an article would come out in the in the point of view that you know Charlie's Angels beat so and so. You know, when they walked into a class, you know, the next day, you know, their their academic professor could say, oh, cadet, you know, Coteau, I, I saw, uh, you know, so where you guys ran so-and-so and won, you know, that's great, you know. And that really helped, I think, with with the overall success and integration of women to be able to, to, to see that. And, you know, one of the things that, that I tried to do from a coaching perspective is in, in th this was easier to do in cross country than it was in track, but I would never tell them exactly what the workout was when we, when we had a workout. I would just tell them 
okay, today we're going to run uh, a series of 800-meter runs. They didn't know whether it was three or 10 or, or what. <laughs> they just knew we were going to run 800s. And so I would watch them run, and when it was obvious that they had gotten to a point where they were really struggling, and I could say, okay, that's the last one. Well, they, they didn't know if I had cut the workout short or if that was the actual workout. All they knew is that they had done the workout that I had given them. Uh, and I could say at the end of the workout, you know, great workout. You guys did a really great job and so on. And so that type of thing, you know, that went back to them believing in themselves. You know, hey, we had a tough workout today. You know, coach gave us a really tough workout today, but we were able to do it. We were successful. So, you know, anything that we could do like that to show success from an individual standpoint, but also as a, from a team standpoint, was really critical, I think, in their overall acceptance within, within the Corps of Cadets. Because at least from a practice standpoint, you're maybe eliminating some of that potential for disappointment, for failure. Right. They're not seeing themselves as failures in practice mm -hmm. because they're always finishing mm -hmm. the job, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. And uh, speaking of finishing the job, you know, you sent me a chapter of your book. Um, I'm looking forward to reading the whole thing. It sounds great. Um, and uh, but they were the first uh, Army women's team to beat Navy. I mean, that's that's a huge deal. Army Navy. We you hear about the football team uh, game all the time, but um, you know the other sports as well. So um, what I mean that has you know competition. I'm sure for, for any athlete, kind of really can either kind of you you step up to it or you don't. So um, what was what was that like? Because that was a big deal that probably, you know, became sort of national news as well. Right. Well, it, it, it really didn't get really didn't get to be news. I don't think outside the academy <laughs> because it wasn't something that we were really supposed to do oh. uh, early, early on. Uh, you know, everybody's heard about Army Navy. You know, I mean, if, if you lined up 10,000 people, all 10,000 of them, they're aware of Army Navy. And so when I when I got to West Point and started to put the first schedule together, I wanted to run Navy. Uh, and I, when I mentioned that to the athletic director, he told me, no, you, you can't run Navy. We can't, we can't run Navy. I mean, that's like a cornerstone of the academy. Why can't we run Navy? And uh, he said, well, women, women really can't handle that. They, they, they just don't have the psychological makeup to be able to handle the pressures of running Navy. I said, wow, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't believe I was hearing that, but I couldn't run Navy, so, so we didn't run it. For, so for the first couple of years, well, by the time we got to my third year there, now we had about 350 women or so there, uh, I said, again, I want to run Navy, and he said, no, no, you guys can't run Navy, you know. So, I, you know, the girls really wanted to run Navy. You know, I mean, the guys ran Navy, the girls wanted to run Navy. Yeah. You know, I mean, th that was, and they would ask all the time, why can't we run Navy? Why can't we run Navy? So I thought up of a way that I thought we could run Navy without having to get the okay of the athletic director. So in cross country, you can have a dual meet with another school, you can have a triangular meet, or you can go to a big invitational meet. And so I thought, I wonder if we could get the Navy guys to go to an invitational meet. We would go to that same invitational meet, but we would actually pull the runners out, pull their finishes out, and we would actually 
kind of use that as a dual meet against Navy. And so I called up the Navy coach and I said, hey, what do you think? And he said, great, let's do it. So we, we decided we would go to this big invitational. So our schedule just simply said, whatever, XYZ invitational. And we didn't have to say who all the other teams were that were going to be there. And, and uh, you know, a lot of times you don't even know all the other teams that are going to be at a big meet like that. So we went to the meet and uh, when we got together, of course, all, all the women knew we were going to do that. I mean, I told them that at the beginning of the season, you know, hey, we, we finally got this worked out. We're going to run Navy. Here's how we're going to do it. Uh, they didn't really care if that's the way. It went. As long as they were going to run Navy, that's all that really mattered to them. So, you know, we, we ran the race and the Navy coach and I got together and we pulled all the runners out and we figured out, you know, that Army actually won that meet. And so that was the first, you know, Army-Navy, you know, women's competition. And so, of course, when we got back to post after that, you know, all the, all the women went back to their companies and said, we beat Navy, we beat Navy, you know, and, and, you know, of course, everybody knew that. Well, you know, that made its way down to the athletic department and uh, the athletic director called me in and said, you know, hey, I thought I told you you weren't allowed to run Navy. Well, I said, oh, geez, I had no idea they were going to be there. You know, <laughs> I mean, uh, I, I could have kind of played stupid and, and I, I, he he probably was able to see through that, but at any rate, you know, we we were able to beat Navy, and I and I think that was another really big step uh, for women because number one, it showed that they ran Navy and they beat Navy, but it now was pretty difficult for the athletic director to say to the other teams, "You guys can't run Navy. You can't play Navy in basketball. You can't play Navy in softball. You can't play Navy in you know whatever," uh, because. We had done it. And so that kind of opened the door, I think, for something that today is just a normal thing. You know, every every team at West Point, you know, runs, you know, competes against Navy every year. And, you know, that's the one competition that you absolutely want to win. Yeah. I know one last question for you. You know, uh, I know that you said some of these uh, female runners that you coached um, gave you like a cadet saber that you have on your wall. And, and so are, do you still keep in touch with some of these, uh, angels in combat boots? Do they, they call you up and, and, or text you and, and yeah. keep up with the coach? Yeah, we, I mean, we definitely, we definitely keep in touch. In fact, uh, we're in the process right now of donating, uh, a, a rotating trophy that, that group of women that was in that first group to beat Navy. We are in the process of donating a rotating trophy that will go to the winner of the Army Navy cross country meet. Okay, all right. And uh, in fact, I just actually w- was working on that earlier this morning uh, <laughs> downtown. So we're we're gonna the the meet is gonna be on the fifteenth, I believe it is, of October. It's at Army, and uh, the whole the whole team is gonna be there. Yeah, you'll be rooting for Army, of course. Oh, of course. <laughs> funny. And where can folks find your book? You know, Angels in Combat Boots, in terms of if they want to to get a hold of it and, and give it a read. They can get it from uh, from Amazon or from Barnes and Noble. But uh, just this weekend, uh, I found out that Commandos is going to start carrying it, and they've ordered their first bunch of of books. And so uh, I'd probably take a week for them to get them, but uh, you know, commandos will have them, so you can get them right here locally. Great. All right. Well, thanks very much, Chuck. I appreciate it, uh, Coach. And uh, um, you guys, you've done some great work. Appreciate your service to our country, and and uh, looking forward to uh, you know um, running some more. And and like you said, I mean, seeing so many folks out there, hopefully, kind of growing that passion of running. Sounds great.
Really looking forward to reading his book. Again, Angels and Combat Boots sounds like some great stories uh, just about breaking barriers uh, and about just running in general. Because, you know, he, like he said, uh, being, you know, physically, mentally, and spiritually fit is so important. And, and having that fitness, is, you know, the physical side as well, is so important in the military, really for any job, uh, you know, having uh, that, that fit mindset, that, that fit life and body, uh, so important. And then we talk about that, you know, on a, on a regular basis here on the Run the Race podcast. You can find all the previous 77, 78 episodes at WTVM.com com slash podcast. We're everywhere you can find uh, most pods as well, which is you know uh, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Apple. Where we'd love for you to write one of the reviews. We've got about uh, three dozen reviews on there. Would love to add to that. And uh, adding to this episode, we have our final segments. I'm not going to sing this time, uh, but we have a parting gift uh, from the Bible about breaking barriers and also uh, a food for thought uh, that deals with uh, fitness in the Army and how maybe are the rules the same when it comes to female troops. This article was from uh, just in the last few months by the New York Times titled, Where Fitness is the Job, Army Struggles to Be a Fair Boss with Female Troops. The author saying the, you know, the, the Army is racing to try to make significant changes to its legendary physical fitness test and uh, first changes since 1980. And, uh, you know, at the same time, the new version of the test, it's required twice a year for soldiers. It does away with separate scoring curves based on gender and age. Now, in the first rollout, you had about 14,000 soldiers, uh, 65% of, you know, a small sample of women failed the test, while only 10% of men failed that test. So uh, major changes to these requirements would amount to, to a really a, a, a big change to this fitness force. And, and not all women in uniform actually agree that the standards need to be lowered for them. The Army's first female infantry officer wrote an article, her opinion, uh, last month, uh, saying that maintaining these same physical requirements for men and women in combat forces, uh, you know, it, it should happen. They need, it needs to stir up new conversations and urgency about the issue. She says that lower female fitness standards, quote, reinforce the belief that women cannot perform the same job as men, therefore making it difficult for women to earn the trust and confidence of their teammates. This is from uh, Captain Kristen Greist. I uh, was one of the first two women to graduate from Army Ranger School just down the road from me here at Fort Benning. And, uh, you know, another opinion, one professor at the Johns Hopkins School of Advanced International Studies, uh, Nora Benchell, says the intent was not to discriminate against women, but this test affects your promotion and would have a, a disparate impact. So many women see this as the intent of the Army to push them out. So uh, differing views there. So this is a 120-minute test. It's known as the ACFT, Army Combat Fitness Test. You have six events covering you know, all kinds of things when, when speed, endurance, and strength. And so uh, women in the Army have been having a lot of discussions now on social media about the fitness standards. Should they be the same? And uh, one Ranger School grad, again, saying the Army needs to determine what is needed on a battlefield and just hold everyone to that same standard. So a lot of opinions about this big issue when it comes to, to gender and integration and making sure that is it, you know, should women and men be treated differently because, you know, they are different in some ways. So uh, some very interesting uh, opinions there about this uh, big issue. 
when it comes to uh, um, sex and the military. And our, our parting gift comes from the Word of God. In fact, this the, this version of the Bible is called The Message. If you had a chance to kind of look that up or read some of that, it's kind of in everyday language. Uh, so we're talking, you know, on this uh, episode about breaking barriers and women, you know, really uh, changing the narrative in the late 1970s, that cross-country team at West Point, the Military Academy. Uh, this is from 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. Uh, the message version says, The world doesn't fight fair, but we don't live or fight our battles that way. Never have and never will. The tools of our trade are not for marketing or manipulation, but they are for demolishing that entirely, massively corrupt culture. We use our powerful God tools for smashing warped philosophies, tearing down barriers erected against the truth of God. So uh, it's just it's not the, the weapons of warfare are, are not of the flesh, but they are spiritual. They are of God. You use those God tools that are powerful, like prayer, the Word of God, uh, witnessing to other people, uh, the Holy Spirit, and that will uh, tear down uh, those barriers uh, you know, people put up against the truth of God. We're seeing it more and more in our culture today. Closing us now in this episode in prayer, uh, dear God, just uh, help us to, to break any barriers that, that, that the devil or the world puts against us. Lord Jesus, just give us the bravery, the wisdom, the patience, the strength to do what you want us to do, uh, whether it's uh, at our job, at home, uh, through fitness, uh, anything, Lord Jesus, just help us to, to do it for you and to use the tools that you've given us, that we pray more, that we uh, dig into your word and look to you for answers and uh, not just look to ourselves or to the world, uh, which oftentimes can fail us. Uh, Lord Jesus, just thank you for this opportunity to talk about you freely, uh, to talk about fitness and just being better uh, overall uh, as people as we uh, look to you uh, for, for all our needs. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you again so much for joining us for uh, Run the Race. And uh, we are uh, nearing in uh, on two-year anniversary uh, just in a few months and uh, had some great guests on. Last week we had Jonathan and Jessica Cronin talking about their new spirit and life ministry, how they're helping folks dealing with uh, depression and anxiety and how you know they were you know in, in prison and, and dealing with uh, being a sexual assault victim and uh, drug addiction and all kinds of things and how Jesus really transformed their lives and now they're helping other people to have that real true healing from God. So until next time, folks, hope you have a wonderful rest of your week.